I have to confess that I am a little bit confused these days as to where our society's relationship is with the topic of death. On the one hand, we, we have as many people today demanding the rights of, of women to, to put children to death through abortion. We, we seem to condone and be much more accepting of things like euthanasia and suicide than we ever were in the past. But in the midst of all that, we have a, a pandemic based on a virus that kills such a minuscule percentage of the population, and yet people are, are living in terror and fear because of it. So I just can't put my finger on, on that relationship that we have with death. Do we think so little of death, or do we think too much of it? Well, as we continue our series looking at the freedom that we have in Christ, today we are thankful that our view of death isn't informed by popular opinion in the world or what the experts say, what people think or feel about the matter. Rather, we are directed by God's word on how to deal with something like death. And how appropriate on this Sunday, referred to as Saints Triumphant, for us to again not look or be informed by what the world has to say, but by God's word, and specifically the Apostle Paul. Last Sunday we rejoiced in the, the freedom that we have in Christ that enables us to face judgment without fear. Because we already know God's judgment in Christ Jesus is not guilty. And that same confidence is ours today, dealing with a topic, a matter that is going to apply to every one of us, the matter of death. Because we are free in Christ, we are also free to face death. The Apostle Paul gets to why many are mourning or grieving who are without hope in the world, and he makes the connection as to why that hopelessness exists. In verse 13, as he continues the same letter that we focused on last Sunday, his letter to the believers in Thessalonica, he writes in chapter 4, verse 13, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. First of all, notice how, how Paul refers to it as a, a sleeping in death. That's what it is for the Christian, is a sleep. But where does that grieving and that hopelessness come from? He says it's from being uninformed about not knowing what happens. And that's often the case when it comes to fear, isn't it? We are afraid of those things that are unknown to us. Those things about which we're ignorant or uninformed. So then let God's word, let, let Paul direct us under, under the verbal inspiration of the Holy Spirit, under his guidance about what to expect when we deal with this topic of death. Again, this is a, a matter where everybody has an opinion. People have thoughts and feelings about where their loved one is or what happens when we die. They might think this or feel that way and experts might prove or point to rather evidence of this, that, or the other thing, but God's word guides us in our understanding of death so that we don't need to be uninformed. And though there are certainly many questions left unanswered in Scripture about the topic, there is enough that God has revealed to us to know what happens when we die. In the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, we're told this about death. In chapter 12, verse 7, the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. 
So we understand from that and the rest of Scripture that all of us, every human being is created body and soul, and at that moment of death, the body and the soul separate. The body or its remains, whatever they might be, if it's cremation or some other matter of death, are, are placed into the ground, and the soul then is separated and goes either to, to heaven or hell. There's no, there's no limbo there's no holding space. There's no purgatory. There's no waiting space for people uh, after we die to determine where one goes later on at some other junction. No, the moment we die, the body and soul are separated and the soul goes to either heaven or hell. And furthermore, ruling out this idea of a purgatory or a limbo or a soul sleep, whatever terms you may have heard that, that people just kind of are, are holding or waiting till Jesus returns, listen to what the, the writer to the Hebrews wrote in chapter 9, verse 27. People are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. There isn't some second opportunity or chance that somebody's going to have or some rapture where God says, okay, now I'm really serious. Now is your chance to really come to faith. We die and then we are personally judged. And the rest of scripture says that then when Jesus returns on that last day, that personal judgment that determined the soul goes to heaven or hell on the last day, Jesus will make the final determination, a public determination that everybody will know of those who are then destined to heaven or hell. Hell is a real, a real destination. It's a real place. And, and though we make light of it, even in the way that we speak about maybe a, a, a hell on earth, or this was a living hell, or we wish somebody to go to hell, Scripture is very clear that that is, if we could just even glimpse for a, a moment to see how awful hell is, that you wouldn't wish that on your worst enemy, a place of suffering and, and torment, being cut off and separated from God. And, and not just that, but the fact that there's no relief and that it's permanent, that it's eternal. And contrary to this silly notion that maybe there's, there's some different better places in hell than others, as if a courtside seat or a VIP suite might make hell a little bit more palatable for somebody, all that does is really diminish the awful reality of its existence and being separated from God forever. And in contrast to that, as much as we certainly don't have every question answered about hell or heaven, in contrast to that, we do know that, that heaven is, heaven is the, the five-star rating. right? Heaven, heaven is devoid of all of the things that, that hell is. Heaven is a, a place where sorrow and suffering, where loss and letdown, where hurt and heartache and hardship, those are all filtered out. And all that remains is, is that this eternity of each and every day is the best possible day that one could ever imagine. And of all the, the wonderful, the blessed bliss that is associated with heaven in Scripture, there is nothing that surpasses the very truth that Paul highlights in this letter to Thessalonians. In the second part of verse 17, he says, So we will be with the Lord forever. We often talk about so-and-so passing away and, oh, she's with grandma, she's with grandpa, and he's with his loved one, and, and that's well and good for those that we know fall asleep in Jesus, but that's not going to hold a candle to knowing that we'll finally be in the presence of the Lord. We aren't going to be limited in our knowledge and understanding of Jesus simply by 
hymn verses or stanzas or songs or or scripture verses or artist renditions of what Jesus might have looked like, but we'll finally be able to see our Savior Jesus face to face in his presence forever. And nothing will compare to that. So what is the distinction between one's final destination? How is it determined whether one goes to, to hell or to heaven? Well, we spent some time on that last Sunday, last judgment, and we know that the determination is whether or not a person dies with faith in Jesus. Romans, Paul writes, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he writes it maybe another way to, to help us understand the simplicity of the good news that we have in Jesus. He describes in verse 14 exactly what determines one's final destination. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. It really is simple, it's really profound, it's really beautiful, but do you believe that Jesus died and rose for you? Because it really happened, and if you really believe it, then you really have the assurance that Paul attaches to that, that if the Father allowed Jesus to come home to heaven, if that was his rightful place and, and Jesus is now ruling there on, uh, at God's right hand on behalf of all believers, if Jesus really went there, then all those who believe that he really died and really rose will also really be with him as well. This past year, six of our family members from this congregation have gone home to be with Jesus. That's more than in any one year of my whole time here, and it's about as many as as have gone home to heaven in the last five years. Those those six saints are are Charles Soxie and his wife Audrey, Rosemarie Koberstein, Ray Gilliam, Wes Raby, and Don Hay. And though we weren't able to gather together for a service of comfort and simply to rejoice in the the triumphant victory that is theirs in Christ, even if we weren't able to gather for a special funeral memorial service for those individuals, that doesn't rob us of the joy and the certainty of knowing where they're at. Why? Because we know that they believed that Jesus died and rose again. And so we know that they are with the Lord forever. And dear friends, that is where we too will be, provided we believe that Jesus died and rose and paid for our sins and has opened heaven for us. And if that is true, that Jesus did those things, and it is, and if we believe it, then we will join those other six saints when Jesus brings us home as well. There is no fear of death because we know that Jesus has removed that fear. There's there's no doubt, there's no uncertainty about what happens when we breathe our last, no matter how that might come about. And so we are at peace. We don't grieve like the rest of the the world that, that mourns out of hopelessness and despair, wondering, not knowing what happens when we're done here on this earth. And not only that, There's more to it than simply understanding that that fear has been removed from death. It's 
Too often, I think that we think of death as just being, uh, the better we understand it and the more comforted we are in it, then we're better prepared to, to deal with that thing when it happens sometime in the future, sometime off in the distance. But the truth is that the freedom we have in Christ that allows us to face death also makes a difference for us today, each and every day. Because all of us are, are worn out. We're sick and tired of the, the same news, the same headlines over and over and over. And yet if we are mindful of the fact that no matter how many of the same headlines and news stories continue to keep being recycled and, and resurfacing and taking slightly different shape and form, they don't need to weigh us down emotionally and mentally when we know that something better is waiting for us. But do you think that, that we're fully maximizing the, the use of this good news of salvation and eternal life, this, this absence of the fear of death, if we only think on that occasionally, maybe on a Sunday morning or whenever you, you watch this video? Do you think that just once in a while is going to be enough for us to, to be able to, to counter all of the negative news and the stuff going on in the world? I don't think that's what Paul had in mind when he closed out this section of Scripture, very similarly to how he did last Sunday in the verses that we looked, in verse 18 when he says, Therefore, encourage each other with these words. And I don't think that Paul just meant every once in a great while. I, I think encourage means as often as somebody needs it. And I have to ask you, do you think that at this time in, in our history, in our lives, do you think that you can encourage somebody too much with this wonderful news? Do you think it's too much to remind somebody on a daily basis? Yes, this too will pass. And yet, it's not as if we are just looking to get through this. The truth is we know that there is something far better waiting on the other side, even when we're done with this life. And, and yes, that informs how we handle and deal with emotionally and mentally and spiritually everything else in this life as well, to know that I'm at peace and have no fear in the face of death. And that allows us to do something else that might be I don't know, a little bit of a challenge or awkward or uncomfortable for us. It allows us to actually take the time because we're at peace and we aren't afraid of death. That's the freedom in Christ that we have. It allows us to plan for it. And if you're watching this, you can look in the description under the, on, in, on YouTube under the description of this video and you'll find a link there for a resource that I'm making available to anybody that, that wants to use it. It's a guideline to plan your funeral. See, if we are at peace and, and have nothing to fear in the face of death, doesn't that also free us then to plan for that day when, when others will be gathered in our absence celebrating the victory that we have in Christ. And it's, it's nothing extravagant. It's a simple guideline, this planning form. But I encourage you to use it, to, to pray about it, to think about what scripture verses, what hymns, what songs you want people to, to find comfort in and how you want to direct them to the love of Jesus on that day of your funeral. And then to make a copy of it, 
keep one for yourself and, and turn it into the congregation as well so we have that on record and are, are better prepared then for that day when we can celebrate the victory that, that you, that all of us one day will enjoy in Christ. There's another benefit and a blessing to that kind of planning. It also blesses the congregation. To think through my death and to have the confidence of knowing where I'm going through Jesus means that I also can plan for how I want to continue to make sure that Jesus is passed on to future generations. And one of those six saints of our brothers and sisters who have gone home to heaven to Jesus this year, we are so grateful that that very thing was done. This individual who was so impacted by the gospel, by the good news of Jesus for so many years in their life, this individual saw fit to to say thank you to God through a gift to the church, a gift of $140,000. Do you think that blessing is going to continue to impact hearts and lives for for years and, and many generations to come? So when Paul says, when he wraps up this section and says, therefore encourage each other with these words, do you think that that individual who left that generous gift so that others could continue to have this freedom from fear of death and be able to face it head on because of the victory that we know in Christ, think of how many ways we can impact this world and Christ's kingdom long after we are at home rejoicing in heaven. And think of how we can continue to bless Christians and and our brothers and sisters for years to come simply because we can take the time to, to plan for that day and for the time that we will no longer be here. But to see that through the continued proclamation of the good news of Jesus, others will join us there at home in heaven with Jesus. So I encourage you to to use that form and and to think about that day, not as a day of of awkwardness and not as a a day of fear or fright, but something to actually look forward to because that's the day that you'll be home. Regardless of what the world says about death, what, what your friends' views are about it, God's word is clear. We don't grieve. We don't mourn like those who are without hope, we are free to face death because we know that death means what? Death means that one day we will be with the Lord forever. Amen.